Here we go. You're listening to Rumination Tuesday Law and Gospel on this October the 13th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and my co-host with me is the Reverend Dr. Mark Smith. Hi, Dr. Smith. Hey, Tom. How you doing this beautiful fall morning? I don't know. I haven't looked outside. It's, it's a- beautiful out. Beautiful, clear day, nice and cool and crisp. You going to do your walking? You sure did. Yeah, I got up early this morning and went walking for about an hour and 45 minutes or so. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Boy. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a great time, great time to get up and go walking. Yeah, clear sky. I, uh, still see the stars. I did some walking, got out of bed for 45 seconds, and came over to the microphone. <laughs> Holy God, we praise thy name. That's kind of a familiar hymn. Very familiar. What's it based on? Uh, The Te Deum, actually. It's uh, based on the Te Deum. In fact, um, I guess there's seven verses of the Te Deum. I I don't think this has all of them. It says the complete seven stanza version of this te de, of the Te Deum Laudamus may be found in the Lutheran Service Builder. We don't, but uh, I'll tell you, it's it's a great hymn. It's a good beginning hymn for the opening service. Yes, in fact, we really don't even know the origins of the Te Deum. And in, in fact, it was often suggested it was by Ambrose and Augustine. On the occasion of the latter's baptism in Milan, Luther did accept that, although not uncritically, but modern scholarship has rejected the idea that these two great Latin doctors of the church had anything at all to do with the composition. So it is now suggested that the Teum originally may simply have evolved like other liturgical texts of great antiquity. Now, you'll notice Mm. that in our hymnal, who's the author? Let's see. Uh, um, German version, Clarence. Let's see. The translator is Clarence Walworth. That's a translator now. The the Latin German version, uh, I don't know, it it gives the name Vienna. In 1774. Well, he kind of um, put it together. It's called the German Te Deum, and it was written by a Roman Catholic priest, Ignaz Franz, who died oh, uh-huh. in 1790. And you are correct. The translator, Clarence A. Walworth, was a Presbyterian who became a Roman Catholic priest in 1845. And that's kind of important. There are other metrical versions of the Te Deum in the Lutheran hymnal. Uh, uh, Others are, we worship you, O God of might. Uh, Thee we adore, eternal Lord. That's 547. And my favorite one, in fact, I listened to it yesterday, Stephen Starkey's, we praise you and acknowledge you. Oh, yeah, that's a beauty. That's that a beautiful is, hymn. Oh, my, yes. Absolutely. And so, much beloved. Much beloved in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, yes. Yeah, uh, the organist 
at the church that I attend, St. Paul de Pair, actually wrote a rendition and it was sung at a youth conference. And uh, I tell you, it is just really, you can go to YouTube, uh, type in uh, Starkey's hymn, and it's just amazing how good it sounds with the orchestra, etc. So, of course, this, without... this one is a this one's a little simpler, a little older, but it's a good one too. This version, yes, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, without further ado, why don't you begin with stanza one? Holy God, we praise Thy name, Lord of all. We bow before Thee. All on earth Thy scepter claim. All in heaven above adore Thee. Infinite thy vast domain, everlasting is thy reign. Yes. Now, there is two points of view as to who verse 1 is talking about. Normally, because it's a Trinitarian, and Jesus comes in, of course, in other verses, it's the Father. But there are some who believe that verse 1 is also addressed to Jesus Christ, praising his name, Lord of all, we bow before thee. So that's interesting discussion that they're having. Yeah, you, you can't go wrong saying it's also about Christ. What do you think, Tom? I haven't really made up a decision uh, because you've got trinity involved in here uh, there's no other place where the father comes about really so that's probably uh proper um in starkey's hymn which is the one right after it we praise you and acknowledge you O god to be the lord the father everlasting by all the earth adored so he makes it very clear that the first mm -hmm. verse of the Te Deum is the Father, but mm -hmm. others are suggesting it could also be the Son. Help me with this one. All on earth thy scepter claim. What's scepter and what does that mean? All on earth thy scepter claim. All in heaven above adore thee. Well, I don't know. Is that... Uh, is that stating that he has adversaries on earth that try to try to claim his scepter? What do you think? Okay, what is a scepter? A scepter is a it's a it's a, a sign of rule. Yes. It's usually it's usually like a a, a staff or or a baton or something that shows shows somebody has kingly rule. Yes. Um, you're very well. It is a staff or uh, a baton borne by a sovereign as an emblem of authority. Right. So, excellent. I, I had to look that up. I really wasn't sure. Uh, you got a good memory there, Mark. And All on earth thy scepter claim. That, that, you know, it could, uh, I mean, you know, there are a lot of, earthly rulers that would like to think that they're God. Well, at the time of Jesus, Caesar thought he was. Right. And so 
claiming his rule of authority, every, in a sense, Christian does it every time we sin. Because what sin is, is taking the authority from God and using it for our purposes. Yeah. We're contrary it, to the word of God. Yeah, the more I think about that line, the more I think it's 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 set in kind of an antithesis with, you know, on the one hand, you've got everybody on earth that would like to think they're God, that would like to claim his scepter for their own. Whereas in heaven above, they all adore him. There's no question who's in, who's in absolute control. Yes. And that, of course, would be uh, the angelic beings. Right. And they're, they're found all the way throughout the Bible. So that first stanza, um, if it's referring to God the Father, then people are trying to take away his authority. But that scepter claim gives me thought that at least this rendition of the Te Deum may be referring to Jesus Christ. Because mm -hmm. everybody in heaven adores him, an infinite, diverse domain. Uh, what, what does domain mean? Well, that's his, that's his, his dominion. His, uh, the, vast, the vast universe is, is all his. Everything. Exactly. Exactly. Because... He created it all according to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, uh, the Word was God, and nothing was created that was not created by the Word. And we right. know it's referring to Jesus because verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So there's a good example. Okay, stanza two, please. Hark the glad celestial hymn, angel choirs above are raising, cherubim and seraphim, in unceasing chorus praising, fill the heavens with sweet accord, holy, holy, holy Lord. Now, that last part, why three holies? Thrice holy? Well, that's, that's definitely a reference to the Trinity. Yes. Yes. And some children may not understand celestial hymn. What does celestial mean? That's a heavenly hymn. Celestial yes. is heavenly. So verse 2 kind of expands on verse 1, where you mention all in heaven above adore thee. And then it specifically says angel choirs above are raising cherubim and seraphim. Oh, boy. What's the difference? Uh, the cherubim are the cute little angels with their wings. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, they're just different ranks of angels. Uh, seraphim, now seraphim are described in that one uh, chapter of Isaiah, remember? Yes. Uh, it, it describes them having six, six wings, and uh, the cherubim... Oh, I'm trying to think. Where do you t where where does the scripture talk about cherubim? Oh, there were weren't there? Uh, wasn't there a uh, there were cherubim guarding the uh, the Garden of Eden? Isn't yes. that right? There were cherubim cherubim guarding the Garden of Eden, lest uh, Adam and Eve re-enter it. Right. 
And I think there were cherubim embossed upon the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies and the temple from the from the holy place. Yeah, they're first mentioned in Genesis 3, verse 24. That's very good, Mark, that you remember that. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing right. back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Right. Isn't that interesting? And you, you are correct. They're a class of angels. You know, I, I, I use them to answer a question that sometimes comes about when we're talking about Judgment Day, because it's clear that there are different degrees of glory for yes. people who go to heaven. And so they'll ask me, um, how do I know what degree of glory I'm going to get? What does that mean? And I say, I'll answer that question if you can answer mine. What's the difference between a cherubim and a seraphim? Yeah, that's about it. All we know, they're just they're different ranks of angels, and that's I don't think that's not all of them. You know, there's others it talks about uh, principalities and powers. I think that's talking about ranks of angels too. Um, but we, we're got, not told, we're not given specifics on what each one does. I tend to think that uh, the one who went to Mary was an archangel. Right. Gabriel. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. But there's no jealousy among the angels in regard to these different ranks, just as when we go to heaven, there will be no jealousy about those who might have a higher degree of glory than others. Well, don't you remember when uh, when uh, uh, John the Baptist's father, what was his name? Zechariah. When he doubted, when he doubted the angelic message that his wife would have a child, uh, don't you remember Gabriel, who was the same archangel? Right. He says, "I stand before God's face, and you do not believe me." <laughs> you yeah. remember? Remember? Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. So he, he uh, an archangel, seems to have a, a close relationship with God. Yeah, I kind of use uh, thinking like that. Uh, I was in the congregation, it was the end of the service Sunday, and a lady from the LWML came up and she requested that they have a special item in the service for LWML Sunday that they're going to have at the end of October. And I said, what day do you want it? Uh, what do you want us to do? She said, a prayer, etc." She said, would you be willing to do that? And here's what I told her. I said, Look, it, if you come to me with a theological question and I give you an answer, I expect you to believe me because I'm speaking for God. But when you come to me with something like that, I serve you and whatever the LWL wants, that's what we're going to do. Boy, that doesn't sound at all like you, Tom. <laughs> no, no, I really fake it a lot of times. Uh -huh. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> No, I tell you, the more you're in the ministry, and you really learn that, the, the more you yeah. end up serving people. And, yeah, that's uh, right. It's a joy because you're Christ in the place of Christ a lot of times. So what do we call that distinction between God's word and adiaphora? What's adiaphora? Adiaphora is uh, something that's neither commanded nor forbidden by Scripture. Exactly. 
So if the women of the congregation would like to have LWL Sunday involved there. Now, it's kind of interesting because do you know what occurs in two Sundays also? Reformation. Yes. Reformation Day. So I'm writing a sermon connecting the two together. Yeah. But as soon as they had decided that, they normally have LWL Sunday in September. In fact, I even had a prayer for it. But this church, they collect items and make items, and then they display them before the congregation because they're going to be sent to people in need. And uh, they're uh, ready to do that at the end of October. So that's why we're having that. Yeah, for the sake of our listeners, Tom, we should probably say who the LWML is. It's the Lutheran Women's Missionary League, and they do many, many fine things. And by all means, we want to be supportive of, of their of their uh, of the work. You bet. Yeah, if you get the Lutheran Witness, they'll often have a report on their convention that occurs a lot of yeah. times. And the Lutheran they... Women's Missionary League. We used to have, uh, there was a member of our congregation that was one of the charter members of the Lutheran Women's Missionary League. Oh, I thought that started in 1628. Wow. No, no, it started, uh, oh, I, I know, uh, I'm kidding. 40s. Yeah, she was a member of our congregation. She was a charter member of the LWML. Wow, that's something. Yeah. Stanza three, please. Lo, the apostles' holy train, join thy sacred name to hallow. Prophets swell the glad refrain, and the white-robed martyrs follow. And from morn to set of sun, through the church the song goes on. So we've got a holy train. Who's the engine? Who's the caboose? What's it talking about? It's talking about the uh, a procession, a procession of the apostles, Yep, and uh, and uh, the prophets and the martyrs. It's a beautiful verse. I've always liked that verse, uh, talking about the the apostles processing in and behind them, uh, the prophets, and uh, and then the white robed martyrs follow. And yes, then I like from from morn to set of sun through the church the song goes on. Yes, from morn to set of sun. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I was listening to somebody who was believing in evolution, and they said that um, obviously Genesis 1 can't be correct because the first day occurs without the sun yet being created. And I was thinking to myself, I said, that doesn't make any sense. You don't need yeah, right. the sun to have a day. Uh, how, do, how do we calculate the length of a day? Well, it's it's the 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 complete rotation of the Earth. The Excellent. Earth rotates on its axis twenty four hours. And um, even if you look at Genesis at the beginning, Jesus Christ, verse three, created light and separated the light from the darkness. So right. you did have a, a day and a night and such like that. Sure. Oh. All light, right. Light existed. Light existed before our own sun. That's for sure. Yes. Well said. The sun's not the, he's not, it's not the center. Okay. Stanza four. me to read the, the stanza four. Thou art king of glory, O Christ. No, thou art king of glory, Christ, son of God, yet born of Mary, for us sinners sacrificed, 
as to death, a tributary, first to break the bars of death, thou hast opened heaven to faith. Now, I guarantee you, if you're teaching this to your children, none (laughs) of them will understand the word tributary. And what happens, the hymnal goes so far as to explain it at the bottom of the hymn. Yeah, that's right. What does it say? Well, it says at the bottom of the page, it says, A tributary is one who pays a tribute that is owed. From the cross, Christ paid the penalty of death on our behalf. Yes. Yeah, that that's, uh, you probably, I'm sure the hymn writers try to keep those types of notes at a, at a minimum. But uh, uh, tributary is kind of a strange choice of words, but... Um, well, you got to remember, uh, this was originally written in Latin. Right, right, right. And, and so yeah. uh, Clarence Walworth translated into German why he chose the term tributary in the German, whatever that was, was particularly to help us understand what you just said, that Jesus paid the price owed. Yeah, usually when I think of tributary, and I think most kids in their in elementary school think the same thing. They think a tributary, well, that's a, a river that flow a smaller river that flows into the main river. You know what I mean? Oh, it's, yes. It's, uh, it's good they had that explanation uh, at the bottom. See, that's our One goal. One who in pays doing... a tribute that is owed. What? That's what our goal is in doing this hymn, is so that you can teach the children when they hear it, on Sunday, for example, we're going to be using it at the worship services. And so they begin to understand when they hear that word. Oh, yeah, I remember what dad told me or mom. All right. Now we really get into the Trinitarian stanza five, because what's at the beginning of stanza five? A triangle. That means it's a it's a doxological verse and, and speaks of the whole Trinity. Go ahead. Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, three we name thee, though in essence only one. Undivided God, we claim thee, and adoring bend the knee while we own the mystery. See, this really fits well with the uh, second stanza where you have Holy, Holy, Holy Lord. Now, all three are regarded as holy. Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, three we name thee. So one could say that verse one may be talking not about the Father, not about Jesus, but the entire Trinity. You can think of it in that way too. Right. So, question this. this, Go ahead. This this stanza really it says as much about the trinity as you possibly can uh but it 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 states boldly it's a mystery three three yet one three persons yet one god i mean that is a mystery try to explain the trinity and that's what it says while we own the mystery that's about all we can we can't fully comprehend or explain the trinity but we recognize we accept it as as a mystery the mystery of god Yes. Who would want a yes. Who would want a God? Who would want a God who is, who, who is, who can be completely co- comprehended and understood by us? 
He's far more yeah. zest than that. The actual Greek word is mysterion. Do you remember what Jerome, how he translated it? Sacrament. Yes, sacramental. Sacrament, right? Yeah. And so what else is a mystery are the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. By the right. way, I got an interesting question I had in catechism last week. When it says we receive the body of Christ, what body is that talking about? His resurrected question. body. No. Wouldn't you the say body. his resurrected body? Huh? The body on the cross. Body on the cross? Yes. Hmm. Yeah, if you take a look at it, that's the body that even the, the words of institution uh, are referring to, the body that he gave for us. Now, of course, yeah. it's resurrected, but... If you recall, on the night of the resurrection, he appears before his disciples, and there's no doubt he's in the right body. All right, holy God, we praise thy name. Thanks so much, Mark Smith, in helping us out there. And next week, we'll continue with the hymn for the following Sunday. Tomorrow, Walther's Law and Gospel is really interesting, talking about repentance is not what saves you, but it depends what is meant. Till tomorrow, I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.